was crushed. In his reply, he said, in my years here at CFC, I don't think I've ever preached in Ezekiel. I was like, because Ezekiel, as some of you know, is my favorite book in the Bible. I think it's, um, I think the stories in there are uh, unique and a beautiful expression of the truths of Scripture. I think Ezekiel is such an interesting person. I'm looking forward to meeting him in heaven someday. Um, and I know that when we think of Advent sermons, we don't immediately jump to Ezekiel. There are passages in Isaiah, like the, the virgin who will conceive and bear a son. Or we think of um, Daniel preaching about the, the, the coming of the Son of Man, right? Or maybe even Genesis, uh, the, this, this one will come and stomp the head of the serpent and make things right again. But I hope... <laughs> that I can do a, a faithful job of showing how this text shows the coming of our King Jesus. Now, if you would please pray with me. O King, we come to you ready to hear from your word. Lord, we long for your words, long for the truth that sanctifies us. Lord, please sanctify us by your truth. Or may I be faithful in the, in the preaching of your word, and may the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37. I'm glad you go ahead and get there. Now this year... Year 2020, we could probably have a lot of words about 2020. It's been a really exhausting year, a really dreary year, a tough year for lots of reasons. We've lost people, we've been sick, we've been um, struggling financially or mentally, physically. Struggle goes on and on. The one thing that I think is been particularly disheartening is a lack of unity. I think we see it in many areas. We see politically, you're either Democrat or Republican or third party, and how dare you not vote for my candidate? And there's war and conflict and strife between those two parties. I think we can all agree on that. Even now, after the election has happened, there's still lots of conspiracy theories out and about, oh, you're you're messing with the Russians, or you're messing with the Chinese, or whoever this and that. Accusations flying to and forth. With politicians screaming out, we need to unite together to defeat this person or that person. We think of the racial conflicts that we've had this year. Deaths of, of black people and, and like the divide being put between minorities and whites. And we debate about how legitimate is that? Or, you're blind, why don't you see this? Accusations of, you're racist! Or, you're apathetic! Or, you're woke! Being thrown around to and forth, especially in the church. Disunity there. I mean, we live in a time of COVID where we're literally told, stand apart. There is a distinct lack of unity this year. 
And unfortunately, it's in our churches as well. A lot of divide. And at Christmas time, we hear a lot of, can't we all just get along? Can we all just unite together and have the joy of Christmas? You might know the movie Elf, right? What's the best way to spread Christmas cheer? Singing loud for all to hear. There's that moment at the end of the movie where all these people are singing together, united in one voice, and Santa can fly his sleigh. Sorry if you haven't seen it, that's a spoiler, but that is the climax (laughs) of the movie. These people are united in their voices, and look at what they can do. They saved Christmas. And that's the, the, the joy of Christmas. And I know um, that's, that's fun. That's what we all want. But the Christmas time ends. And 2021 will begin. And unfortunately, we'll still have to wear masks, at least for a time. And there will still be politics. There will still be racial divide. And the movie Elf just won't cut it for uniting people. When we think of Israel in this passage, it's important to remember the history that they're coming from. They have had a time of divide for nearly 400 years. Solomon died around 930 B.C., if I remember my dates correctly. And the time that Ezekiel is written, it's in uh, around 580-ish. Right? So it's been almost 400 years. Because at the death of Solomon, his son, Rehoboam, fought with Jeroboam and the kingdom divided, the kingdom of Israel, into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Right? So for 400 years, longer than the United States has been around, they've been divided. Imagine if we were still fighting the Civil War today. That's how long it's been. And at one point, the northern kingdom of Israel was taken by the Assyrians. They're gone. They're dispersed. They have had their exile. They're pretty much done. And the southern kingdom of Judah, they've been taken by the Babylonians. And Ezekiel is there with them in their land, the land that we know as Iraq today. So they're out of their land. The people are divided. And there isn't much hope for unity anymore. The Davidic line is all but dead, and foreign kings have subjugated them. And this is where Ezekiel writes, 37, he does a sign act for them, showing them that unity will come. So let's see how, how, how is this violent, hostile disunity in our world solved? Let's turn to the text. Ezekiel 37, starting in verse 15. Ezekiel writes, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, take a stick and write on it. For Judah and the people of Israel associated with him. Then take another stick and write on it. For Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and all the house of Israel associated with him. And join them one to another into one stick, that they may become one in your hand. And when your people say to you, will you not tell us what you mean by these? Say to them, 
Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am about to take the stick of Joseph that is in the hand of Ephraim and the tribes of Israel associated with him, and I will join it, join with it the stick of Judah and make them one stick, that they may be one in my hand. I'm going to stop there for now. Pause. This act here, this joining of two six, is what is, is called as a, a, a prophet's sign act. Right? He's acting something out as a sign for something. Right? And I, I asked Winder if I could borrow a couple drumsticks just to, just to see, show you how weird it kind of is. Right? So he's writing something on this. Don't worry, I'm not going to write anything. I didn't bring a Sharpie. I'm not going to ruin his brand new sticks. These are nice. But he writes Judah on this stick and Joseph on this stick, a.k.a. the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom of Israel. Right? He's going to take these two peoples, write their names on these sticks, and join them together as one. Boom, one stick. Right? That's supposed to be a sign for something. And asking, what do you mean, Ezekiel? Why are you holding two sticks together like a weirdo? Right? And they're probably right to ask because Ezekiel has done some pretty strange things in this book so far. But he's holding these two sticks. They're asking, what do you mean by that? What do you mean the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom are going to be together? And God, he tells them to say, uh, Behold, I, the Lord, am about to take this stick and this stick and join them together. And they'll be one. Which isn't very clarifying, right? Oh yeah, cool, you made the two sticks and the one, you're going to make two people the one. What does that mean? Because it seemed impossible. Remember, the northern kingdom, called Joseph and Ephraim here, they've been scattered. Their people are no more. They've melded with the other nations. They're not sitting in a pocket of Israelites somewhere in Assyria waiting to go back to the land. They've been dispersed, either killed or lost in the bloodlines. And so this stick, this stick doesn't even exist in reality. And so these people, what do you mean? It'd be kind of like if I told you that next year I'm going to go to the White House or the, the Capitol building, I'm going to go walk into the House of Representatives and say, hey, you Democrats and you Republicans and everyone in between, aha! <laughs> Is that going to happen next month? Am I going to be very successful? And they're both in the same room, let alone spread out over hundreds of miles of the Middle East. They're in the same room and they can't even get along. Only an aisle separates them, but it seems to be more than that for sure. Is it even feasible? You may think of your, your marriage, right? Years and years of constant fighting and bickering and not being able to get along. You've tried everything. Is it even possible that we can make this work out? A family member you're getting ready to go see for the Christmas holiday. Hopefully you get to see some family. Maybe there's that one cousin, aunt, uncle, mom, dad, brother, sister, that there was something that happened in your childhood and you can't forgive them. How dare you think the Christmas season, I'll get along with them. My stick and their stick cannot become one stick. Is that even feasible? I know, Lord, that you say you'll make them one, 
but that doesn't seem possible. Is it feasible? And God says, well, yeah, it is. I know sometimes we hear God make these promises that he will bring unity, or we think of uh, the comfort of 2021, like, oh, yes, 2020 will be over. This will happen, and this will happen, and we'll be back to normal again. And then there are other times where you're like, oh, I don't think that's actually going to happen. And here I think these Israelites in Ezekiel's day would think the same thing. No, Ezekiel, we're in Babylon now. I don't think we're going to go back to the land, and I don't think, even if we did, that we would join with the northern kingdom again. They're gone, Ezekiel. You and God must have it wrong. He repeats himself back in verse 20 and following. When the sticks on which you write are in your hand before their eyes, then say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone and will gather them from all around and bring them to their own land. A repetition of what he's going to do, right? He says, No, it's true. I'm going to do it. And I will make them one nation in the land of the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king over them all. And there shall be no longer two nations, and no longer divided into two kingdoms. They shall not defile themselves any more with their idols and their detestable things, or with any of their transgressions, but I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned, and will cleanse them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. So this seemingly impossible union, God is saying, yes, I'm going to do it. And here is how. You may not think that you can be united together, but there is a way. You may not think the political divides can be solved. You may not think your friendships can be reconciled. You may not think you can ever get along with your spouse. You may not think that that, child, that that child that's left home and defied you will ever have a relationship with you again. But God says there is a way. And how is that possible? Well, not only is he going to do it, he's going to do it through one king. One king. One king will unite them. One king will do the seemingly impossible, drawing the northern kingdom of Israel from these lands that they've died and dissolved into. One king will bring the southern kingdom of Judah back from Babylon. One king can save your marriage. One king can reconcile your relationships. One king can free you from sin. One king. Now, I think a lot of you, I hope, know who this one king is. And if you're thinking Jesus, you're right. But I don't want to jump to Jesus just yet. Don't worry, we will. But did Ezekiel's people know about Jesus? No. Jesus did not become incarnate yet. There was no crucifixion 
at this point in history. There's no resurrection at this point in history. Jesus had not yet come, and the people did not automatically assume, oh, that one king is Jesus, right? No, they wouldn't have. So what kings did they follow? What kings were they under? What king were they expecting? Right now, they're under King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't a great guy. <laughs> He's very proud, arrogant. He killed people for not worshiping him or his gods, or at least attempted to, with the case of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or you think of the, the kings in the lineage of Israel, right? David was a pretty good king. He was a man after God's own heart. God chose him. Solomon was all right until he got 900 wives and followed after their gods. Rehoboam lost the northern side of the kingdom, and it split. The northern kingdom didn't have a righteous king at all. Southern kingdom, eh, they had a few highlights with Hezekiah and Josiah. But overall, the history of kings in Israel has not been a good one. They've been subjugated under wickedness. They've been taken by these foreign kings into a land that's not their own. So who is this king? The kings they've been following have not done the job. In fact, the kings they've been following are the ones responsible for the disunity to begin with. They followed after the wrong king. They've obeyed the wrong sovereign. And I think that's the ultimate reason for disunity for us today. We follow different kings. Disunity comes from a pr plurality of kings. The more kings you have, the more battles between kingdoms there are going to be. There's going to be infighting among these different nations. Right? My king is the Democratic Party. My king's the Republic Party. There's going to be some battles there, as we've clearly seen. In marriage, well, my kingdom is being able to have free time because I'm so stressed out at work and my wife just does not understand that I need a kickback and watch the game for a little bit. And the wife's kingdom may be, well, he needs to do the dishes or I ain't cooking him dinner or whatever. Different kings and there's strife there. I'm sure you can... Fill in the gaps. Fill in the blanks with your situation. Right? If this person would only listen to me. Ah, my king demands that I get heard. And there's division there. Constant conflict. The king demands the obedience of its followers. And different kings want different things. And when you're separated into these kingdoms, there's fight for territory. So who is your king? Who's the king? What false kings have we been following? What false kings have we been forced to serve under, subjugated to? And I think one king is sin. Without God, we are subjugated to the kingdom of the devil and unrighteousness and wickedness, which leads to death. So this people 
Ezekiel's prophesying to. They don't know which king yet he means. What king could possibly save us from Babylon? What king could possibly cleanse us from this sin? Lord, you said you'll save us from all our backslidings. All the things in which we've sinned, and we'll be cleansed. And that we'll know you and be known by you. What king could possibly do that? Gives an answer in verse 24 and following. He says, My servant David shall be king over them. And they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever, and David my servant shall be their prince forever. I'll make a covenant of peace with them shall be an everlasting covenant with them and I will set them in their land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. This one king, this one king his, his reign is one of beauty. His reign is one that lasts forever. In the Davidic line, if you remember the promises that God made to David, behold, I will set one, of you, one in your line on the throne forever. And there's so many passages in the Old Testament that describe what this Davidic king's rule will be like. It'll be a kingdom of righteousness. It'll be a kingdom of peace where the lion and lamb will dwell together in unity. There'll be no more death. That the young child can wave his hand over the hole of the snake and not get bitten. Where death will be no more. And all these unrighteous kings will be chopped down like trees, fallen, burning, and thrown away. This righteous Davidic king to come. His kingdom will be one where a new covenant will come covenant that puts them in the place where they're meant to be in this promised land. That's what the Israelites were looking forward to. They wanted to go back to the land that was promised to them through Abraham. That's where we're supposed to be. That's where we live. But not only that, this king will be a shepherd to them, guiding them in the ways that they should go. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. No longer will you obey these unrighteous kings. No longer will you be subjugated to sin, but you will obey me in the rule of this one king. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever. This rule will last forever. There will be no usurpation of his land. This king is powerful. This king is mighty. It will last from generation to generation People will be together, and I'll make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will set them in their land and multiply them, and will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. I hope you get to read the book of Ezekiel sometime. It's pretty big, but it's worth it. 
One of the major themes in this book is the glory of the Lord leaving the temple. The temple, the place where God was supposed to dwell, and he left it. He wasn't in the land. What? And this is saying here that he's going to be there forever. What caused God to leave in the first place? Why did God leave? He left because of sin, the abominations that they were committing. They disobeyed God. They followed after other kings. They trusted in Egypt. They trusted in Assyria. They trusted in Babylon. They trusted in themselves. But they did not trust in Yahweh. They followed after other gods. They committed abominations in the land. They sinned. And Yahweh is saying, not only am I going to cleanse you from that, I'm going to end the hostility between you and me, and I'll form a covenant of peace with you. And I will be your God, and you will be my people. We shall know each other again. We'll have unity. God with us. The Israelites, in this day, they didn't get to experience this covenant of peace, at least not in the way that we get to. They, don't, they didn't have Jesus come in their day. When they went back to the land, a guy named Zerubbabel became governor. He wasn't really even king. He just had to, he had to report to the king of Persia. Right? He wasn't even king, and he wasn't even all that great of a king. He was okay, but it wasn't this good. And we know in, in history that Israel wasn't really its own kingdom for many, many hundreds of years. They were subjugated to the Greeks and then the Romans, eventually destroyed. So what did they have to look forward to? Now this is where Jesus comes, right? This Advent. See the connection here? This Advent season is an expectant waiting for the king to come and make his covenant of peace. And Jesus came. He came to put an end to sin, to die on the cross, to establish this covenant of peace where God and humanity can be unified together. They can have unity once more. They can know each other. I will be their God and they shall be my people through the one King, Jesus Christ. How will God unify his people? Through one King. Who is that one King? Jesus and no one else. If you want unity in any part of your life, you need Jesus. If you want unity with God, you need Jesus. Think of Ephesians Chapter 2, Paul is saying, you were once far off, separated from the people of God, had no place in the covenant. But through the blood of Christ, you've been cleansed and brought near. And the body of Christ tore down the dividing wall of hostility. He is the Prince of Peace, the one who came to put an end to the division between God and man. So God and man can have unity with each other. Humanity can have unity with, with one another. 
and this, this unity that we pursue, right, this unity that God has brought about through Jesus Christ. Let's go back to verse 28. This, uh, well, verse 27, My dwelling place shall be with them, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Then 28, Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. When the unity with God is made, it glorifies Him. This kingdom that Jesus has brought glorifies God. Gives Him glory. It recognizes Him that you're the King. I will sing your praises. So you are worthy of it. You deserve it. Not only does it glorify God, but it's missional. The nations will know that He is God. I think that's at least one reason why it's important that we all are united together as a church, that we're united together in our marriages, that we're united together as friends. When friends are in unity, I believe in in true unity, unity in Christ, that shows the gospel. The gospel that says no matter the wrong, you can be forgiven and reconciled to God and to one another. Think of a marriage. Last week's uh, sermon, Pastor Lucas gave from Philippians, uh, focused in on application to marriage. Marriage is a billboard for the gospel, he said. When a marriage is functioning in oneness in mind that comes through Christ alone, they portray the gospel. So when a marriage is united under one king, not a divided household, but one king, they glorify God. They portray the gospel in their unity. That's why this year has been so hard for the church. Many are forced to be online. We have to stay so far apart. We have to wear masks. You can't even see each other smile or frown. You have to try to read their eyebrows. That's hard. That's why it's so important that we meet together in unity. That's why it's so important that even if we disagree on who should be president, on whether or not we should wear masks, on whether or not a vaccine should be given, whatever, we can be united in the gospel. We can be united in one king. We obey the king. We follow in his covenant, his treaty. We follow after him, disregarding any false king, following after the one true king. And now I know this is an Advent sermon, but this Advent is not just one that's already happened. The first Advent, if you will, Jesus has come and he has established his rule and the dividing wall between God and man is torn down through Jesus alone. But we still feel disunity today, right? We see the brokenness in the world. We see the brokenness in our families. We see the brokenness in this church even. Think of all the people that have been lost to division. 
we're still awaiting the kingdom of God to be here as it's fully, in its, in its fullest and truest sense. We're still awaiting that day, the coming of Christ. We are in another advent, a second advent, awaiting the coming of the King. And He is coming. It may not seem feasible. It may seem as impossible as joining two drumsticks together in my hand. It may seem as unreasonable as drawing a people from a land in which they disappeared and all died. It may seem impossible to restore a broken marriage. It may seem impossible to settle the divide between uh, parent and child between friends. It may seem to be no end to 2020. But the king is coming. And until that day comes, we stay and we obey. We look to the word of God. We look at the words of his covenant of peace. And we live according to the law of the king, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, our King, you have, you have united your people. You've torn down the wall of hostility that we may have a relationship with you, that we may, be, that we may know you, that you may dwell with us. And indeed, you came in Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us. And Lord, here today, we know that you are with us in your spirit. And we know that we can approach the throne of grace in prayer and we can read your word, but Lord, we still yearn for your coming kingdom to be here fully. A kingdom that will not be dissolved ever. It will be united as your people and you will dwell with us forever. We will enjoy that covenant of peace. Lord, Please draw the nations in. Lord, draw all those that don't know you as king. May they be brought into this covenant. May they be brought into the church, your people, the citizens of your kingdom. May they know you. And while your people wait, Lord, may we be faithful to your commands. Looking forward to that glorious day when the king returns. Lord, thank you, and we love you. Amen.